All right, thanks, Brother Tom, and appreciate that very much. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Philemon. First chapter, the only chapter in the book of Philemon, is uh, where we'll be once again this evening. We've been in this book throughout the uh, summer months that we've been together, and uh, I've enjoyed uh, the study of it. Hopefully, it's been a help to you as well uh, in your spiritual walk and spiritual journey. While you're turning there, I wanted to mention a few things uh, to us here just by way of announcement. Uh, I wanted to uh, just share with you briefly the uh, funeral arrangements for uh, Mr. Chuck Searson. Uh, Chuck was not a member of our church, but he attended uh, sporadically, of course. Uh, Randy and, and Debbie are uh, faithful folks here, and then obviously at, at a point in the past, uh, his son Dan was also uh, plugged in and involved here as well. Uh, but um, this, the arrangements are that there'll be a service on Tuesday night uh, at 7 o'clock p.m. at the Humanic Funeral Chapel. Uh, that's at 14200 Snow Road in Brook Park. Again, it's Humanic uh, Funeral Chapel there in Brook Park, Ohio. And then uh, the family and uh, those that would like to will meet again on Wednesday morning at 1030 at the funeral home before they transition down to the National Cemetery at Rittman at 1115. So really two opportunities uh, for you if you'd like to go by and minister to the family, encourage them. It would be Tuesday night at 7 o'clock or Wednesday morning at 10.30, and so again, wanted you uh, to be aware of those things. And many of you, of course, have been watching uh, the situation that has been unfolding uh, in the state of Hawaii, uh, and of course, uh, we have in years past, and in, and in uh, I suppose maybe in crises past, we've tried to partner together with uh, an organization known as Nehemiah's Network out of Columbia Road Baptist Church, and um, typically they send a semi-truck uh, trailer load of, of, of items, supplies, when there's a natural, national, natural disaster. Um, but that's a little hard to do when the natural disaster takes place in Hawaii. And, uh, and so um, there's been some conversations with uh, Brother Jenkins, and there is a pastor there in the Lahaina area, which seems to be the area that's most hard hit of a Baptist church. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, to try to send them some, uh, some resources financially so uh, that they can be a help to the people there. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is through a fundraiser that'll take place here on Sunday, September the 17th. And many of you know Brother Hank Okuma and are familiar with uh, his Hawaiian luau's uh, that he does. And so he's going to provide that on a Sunday afternoon for folks that would like to be involved in that. There'll be a meal out in the gymnasium. It'll be by donation only, whatever you feel led of the Lord to give. But we want you to give generously. And uh, all of that, Lord willing, all of the food will hopefully be donated so that all of the proceeds will be able to go directly to uh, that pastor and that church there in the state of Hawaii. We'll say a little bit more about that as we get a little bit closer, but uh, we did want you to be aware of that here this evening. Perhaps maybe even begin to think of inviting some folks to come with you on that Sunday morning and to let them know, hey, we're going to participate in this fundraiser. And most people are sensitive as they think about what's happening there in that part of the country. And, uh, and so again, it might, might be an opportunity to get some guests and visitors here that day Buy them lunch, and all of it, of course, will go to a good cause. Then I also want to let you know that this coming Sunday, uh, we will host um, Sister Bonnie Wilson. And Bonnie Wilson has been a missionary. She and her husband for many years in the country of Mexico. And uh, she is home uh, on a brief furlough. Her husband has gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, but Bonnie is still uh, trying to serve faithfully there in the country of Mexico. And uh, just wants to give a report to our church. And so I'm looking forward uh, to hosting her. She'll be with us all day on Sunday, but we'll hear from her specifically uh, by way of testimony on Sunday night. So again, I wanted you to be aware of that, and you see, you see her on Sunday, be on the lookout, try to encourage her, and again, thank her for her faithfulness. I think we've partnered together with her for many, many years, and so again, we're looking forward to hearing how the Lord has blessed 
their ministry and that partnership. Well, you're in Philemon. Uh, let's look in verses 18 and 19 tonight. Uh, that's where we'll be here as we uh, continue our walk through this particular book. The Bible says, speaking of uh, Onesimus, uh, Paul writes, If he hath wronged thee, Philemon, if Onesimus hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. I want to talk to you about a very, very depressing subject tonight, (laughs) and that subject is debt. But I want you to notice that there is a very, very positive spin on it in this particular text. The title of the message this evening is Debt Free. Debt Free. The United States of America, most of you are aware, holds a historic national debt as of this month of 2023. Currently, as a country, we are $32.6 trillion in debt as a nation. You say, what exactly does, does that mean? Well, I don't necessarily know that I understand all that it means, but as I spent some time researching it, this means that the debt is, is, is the, the equivalent of $97,492 per U.S. citizen. So every citizen in the United States of America, no matter how old they are, no matter how young they are, regardless of any of that, every single person you see that as a citizen of the United States of America, they owe, if, if you were to break it down into this, into this way, they owe $97,000. Here's another way to look at it. That, uh, that number becomes $253,686 per taxpayer. You see, not every U.S. citizen is a taxpayer. But those that are would owe the equivalent of two hundred. And $53,000 or a quarter of a, of a million dollars. almost can't even say it without stumbling over those words. It's hard to fathom. To put this into a, a bit more perspective, consider that in the United States of America currently, the median family or the average family income is $70,784. Now, again, that's average. That's Some of you are sitting here saying, Man, I don't make nearly that much, and some of you are saying, well, that's a whole lot less than I do, and of course, this is just taking the average. That's what the idea of a median uh, concept is, right? So, so if a family is making $70,000, to compare it to what's happening in our country uh, today, that same family, uh, if they spent money like the federal government spends money every year, here's how much they would spend every year. They would spend $90,663 per year. So they're bringing in 70000 and if they spend like the government spends, which I certainly hope you don't, they're spending, they're spending well over, almost $20,000, well over $19,000 more a year than they're bringing in. And, 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 and so they're putting that kind of money on a credit card despite, despite already being $447,142 in debt. We're trying to, again, put this in perspective. You were to look at it like, okay, what, is this, what would this mean for an individual family? What kind of trouble would a family be in? Okay, here they are. They, they owe almost a, a half a million dollars in debt. They're only making $70,000 a year, and they're spending more than $90,000 per year. And so as a result, every year they're putting almost $20,000 additional on a credit card while already owing $447,000 in debt. In other words, it's a mess is what it is. 
It's a mess. In a case, a classic case of follow the leader, American household debt is steadily climbing as well. So people are sitting here saying, well, if the U.S. government can do it, why can't we? And so they're uh, mimicking what they're seeing out of our leaders. Americans owe $986 billion in credit card debt. Now think about that for a while. That's a lot of money that Americans owe in credit card debt, and I'm sure that number is climbing steadily each and every month. They owe $11.92 trillion on mortgage debt. They owe $1.55 trillion on vehicle loans and $1.6 trillion on student loans. Now, now, now Webster, in his, in, his, in his dictionary, he defines debt as that which is due from one person to another, whether money, goods, or services, that which one person is bound to pay or perform to another. Then as you continue reading down his, his, uh, his description or his definition of debt, he makes this statement that I thought was so good. He says this, when you run in debt, you give to another power over your liberty which is certainly one of the reasons why the word of God warns against the borrower being servant uh, to the lender, warns against uh, that type of activity and that type of habit. Uh, many of you be familiar with the name Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey has given his life to helping people get on good ground financially, and he has come to this conclusion about Americans. Here's the conclusion. He says this, normal is broke. Normal is broke. That's a pretty sad conclusion, but I, I suppose he's probably right on. With people making more money than ever, you would think that this idea of normal is broke would be a faulty assumption, but the numbers that we have just given relay Dave Ramsey's assessment to be true about our culture. Now, I have to tell you that being in financial debt is a miserable way to live. And I, I'm not here to talk about that necessarily tonight other than just to build a case of, uh, of how difficult debt can be in the life of a family or in the life of a country. Um, I, and I would, just, I would just warn you to, uh, to steer clear of that to the best of your ability, to work really hard, to pay cash for the things that you want to buy. Uh, it's a miserable way to live to be in financial debt. But I want you to understand, listen, that each of us, each of us, carry another debt that is equally distressing and has an even greater impact on us as people. You say, what are you talking about? Well, in this, in this text, Paul talks about some debts that are owed. He talks about some individuals that, uh, that, are, that, are, that were in debt, and he talks about how, how to deal with that debt and what the response ought to be. And, and this just literally leapt off the page to me as I was studying. Here's what he says. Paul says that the wrong that Onesimus had done against Philemon could be viewed as a debt that was owed. Now let that sink in for just a moment. If, if every time I wrong someone, if every time I sin against someone, if every time I offend someone, I'm accumulating more and more debt how much debt do you suppose I'm in? I'm in a whole lot. Nobody in this room knows me better than I know me. 
And I can assure you that I am in a great deal of debt if, if every time that I, 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 I say a cross word or I offend someone or I hurt someone or, or I'm rude to someone or whatever the case might be, if, if, if that can be viewed as a debt that is owed, well, then I'm in a, I'm in a lot of debt. Now, he also, he also indicated that, it, that, it, that, that there's another type of debt that we can owe. So as we think about the wrong that is being done to someone and viewing that as debt that is owed, we understand, well, that's Onesimus with Philemon. Onesimus was a slave to Philemon until, until, we, until he would have stolen some money and he would have run away uh, from Philemon. Uh, he had abandoned his responsibility, his post, and he took off hoping never to see Philemon ever again. And Paul says because of that offense, because of that sin, because of that wrongdoing, uh, Onesimus owes a debt. But notice he says in verse number 19, he says, but Philemon, you owe me something as well. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what wrong did Philemon do if, if, if debt, if spiritual debt can be viewed as something that, is, that I've done that is wrong towards someone, puts me in debt, then, then what did Philemon do that was wrong? And as far as we can tell, he didn't do anything that was wrong. No, instead, instead here's, here's the type of debt that Philemon owes. Philemon owes a debt in which kindness had been shown to him and, and he had received that kindness without really being able to recompense in return. Well, man, I gotta tell you, as I'm studying this, I'm thinking to myself, man, my hole was, digging, but was deep enough as it was. When I start thinking about the wrong that I do and understanding that every sin against someone else can be viewed as a form of debt, but now on top of it, if I look at my life and understand Every time someone has shown me kindness that I maybe didn't deserve that kindness or perhaps I, I could not repay them for that kindness, I also am going deeper and deeper into debt. Well, then I just gotta tell you, I've had a lot of people show me grace. A lot of people show me mercy. A lot of people show me love and kindness. And as a result, boy, my debt, my debt is, is maybe even deeper than the historic national debt that we talked about just a moment ago. In our text, Paul indicates that Onesimus is in debt to Philemon. But before Philemon can you know, begin to collect on this debt that he is owed, Paul reminds him of a very important truth. He says, I want you to know something. You're in debt as well. But Paul would write, listen, Paul would also write in other places, not necessarily here, but Paul would write in other places, hey, before, you know, before I get too much down on Philemon and before I say much about Onesimus, I also need to be reminded I'm in debt too. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter one and verse number 14, he says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul's admission of debt to the Greeks and to the barbarians is an acknowledgement that he must, he must reach them for the cause of Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, God has shown me so much grace, so much mercy and forgiveness. God has chosen me as a, as a, as a specific vessel to reach the Gentiles. That's what God told Ananias shortly after Saul's salvation. In Acts 9, verse number 15, the Lord said unto him, speaking of Ananias about the apostle Paul, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And listen, Paul would spend the rest 
of his life under, listen, under that burden of debt, doing everything that he could to try to, to, try to pay back and to re- restore to God the kindness that had been shown to him. So Paul's desire to reach the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the unwise, the debt that he owed, really it flowed from a proper understanding of how much he owed the Lord for what God had done in his life. And can we just pause for a moment tonight and can we stop and think about how much, how much we owe based on the goodness of God in our lives? A debt that you and I could never fully repay, but we ought at least to be determined to give it our all to repay this debt. But Paul, listen, Paul acknowledged, listen, another impactful truth in this text. And not, it's not only this, that listen, every one of us carry a spiritual debt in some respects. When we think about the people that we have wronged and we think about the kindness that has been shown to us and understand, man, I, I, I owe some people. I'm in debt to some people because of my life or because of the kindness that they've shown to me. But listen, Paul acknowledges another impactful truth, and that is this, that the debt, listen, the debt that is owed can be canceled out by the lender. The debt that is owed can be canceled out by the lender or by the creditor. This could happen uh, by Philemon choosing to forgive Onesimus for the wrong that he had done. And that's what Paul is urging him to do. He's saying, listen, Listen, Philemon, would you, just, would you just cancel that debt that is owed? Would you just, would you just sort of forget about it and, and, and move on? If there were, he says, if there are outstanding bills that need to be repaid, he says, I'm, I'm willing to step in to pay those things. If, if Philemon, he says, if Philemon, if you're to balk at simple forgiveness at this proposal that I'm making, Paul reminds him, Paul reminds him that at one time, at one time you owed a debt to me that I simply canceled out in your favor. The implication is that the debt owed by Philemon to Paul was one of kindness uh, that could never be repaid. I personally believe that this debt centered on the fact that, that Paul was the one to introduce Philemon to Jesus Christ. And as a result, for the rest of his life, Philemon would say, man, how, how, could I ever, how could I ever pay back, Paul, what you did for me in telling me about Jesus? And can I just say, I don't know who it was that, introduced you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody, can I just remind you that, you know, in some respects, you owe a debt to that person. Now, they didn't save you, but they were the one, they were the one responsible as a human being uh, to open their mouth and to proclaim or preach to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, when you think about that person, there ought to be a, a debt of gratitude. You know what you ought to do? You ought to say, one of the ways I can repay that debt is by doing the same thing for others that was done for me. Same kindness that was shown to me. I'm going to pass it along uh, to others. And so uh, Paul references uh, this, uh, this particular element. And, uh, and, and he says, listen, Philemon, because of my ministry among you, uh, you've trusted Christ and your life, your family, and your future is forever changed. And how could he repay Paul for what he had done? He could never. Paul says, that's okay. That's okay. I'm not holding this debt over you. That's all right. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm just urging you to try to treat others the same way that I treated you and that I did for you. Now listen, there may be someone in this room who has uh, someone you know that is in great debt to you. And perhaps when you think about that individual, maybe, maybe the thoughts are not as pleasant because of some debt that uh, is owed to you. 
Perhaps maybe they've offended you in some way. Or maybe, maybe you've shown them kindness and you just never sensed that there was really a, a, a spirit of gratitude that should have been there. You've longed for the day when you can be remunerated from that debt. But maybe, just maybe what the Lord wants you to do tonight is just simply to cancel that debt. Just to forgive them. Just to try to move on. Try to move beyond it. Can I say that contextually, every debt that we hold as a creditor should be canceled when the debtor comes with a humble heart and asks for forgiveness. In other words, some of you are sitting here saying, well, I, I, I would definitely forgive that person. And in some respects, I've moved on in my own mind. If they ever came to me and they express, expressed con- confession and repentance and wanted to be restored to me, I would restore them immediately. Uh, but I'm simply saying, listen, our responsibility as believers is when someone comes to us, according to Christ's teaching, when they come to us and they say, listen, I'm sorry for what I've done. I, I offended you. I know I offended you. I hurt you in some way. Would you forgive me? We have a responsibility, listen, to cancel that debt, to cancel it completely. That's the context was being stated here. Now, I do believe that those who have stolen, those who have taken something, even from this text, that they should restore and they should determine, I'm not going to steal anymore, according to Ephesians 4.28. Can I say it is possible to cancel a debt that is owed to you without being remunerated? I remind you that Christ canceled the debt of a woman caught in adultery, didn't he? The Bible says that they brought her to him. He was teaching there in the synagogue. They cast her at his feet. And they said, here's what we've, we caught her doing. I've, always, I've often thought to myself, well, why didn't, you, why didn't you bring the man to Jesus' feet as well? I mean, you can't, you can't commit adultery with, uh, with just one person. Where was the man? I don't know where the man was. The Bible doesn't tell us. Seems to be maybe a hit job on the, uh, on the woman. But they, they, bring the, they bring the woman to Jesus. And you know the story. What does he do? He cancels the debt. What what does the law require? The law requires that she be stoned, that she be killed because of what she's done. What did Jesus say? Jesus Jesus said, I'm not here to condemn you. What did he say? Go and sin no more. Dear lady, how can you repay this debt? The only way you can repay this debt is by walking away from this encounter and say, I'm never going to do that again. I've been forgiven I'm never, I'm never going to go back to that lifestyle ever again. She could not pay what was owed, and yet Christ forgave her anyways. Can I remind you that if we're ever to look like our Heavenly Father, may it be in this area of erring too much on the side of too much mercy, too much grace, and too much forgiveness. I think that'd be a good thing for us, don't you suppose? If, if we're going to, if we're going to err, if we're going to make a mistake, let's, let's make a mistake by giving too much mercy and too much grace and too much forgiveness as opposed to not nearly enough. What I'm saying is this, listen, be quick to cancel the debts owed to you and to receive and restore a fallen brother. Now, I want to share with you three uh, specific spiritual truths that I just kind of have thought about as it relates to debt as, as we think about this passage. Number one, I want to remind you that like Onesimus in our text, really like every individual that is mentioned, Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul, because we've looked at all of them. But like Onesimus tonight, every man owes a great debt. Like Onesimus, every man owes a great debt. Verse number 18, if he hath wronged thee. What does he say? If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. The debt of Onesimus had to deal with how he had wronged Philemon. 
And as we stated before, debt can be that which I have done wrong against an individual, or it can be the kindness that I've been shown. In this context, we're talking specifically about Onesimus here, and the debt that he owed was centered on the wrong or the offense that he had committed against Philemon. Can I just remind you that in this room tonight, no one here knows me better than me. And so you're just gonna have to take my word for it tonight. But I, want, I just want you to know something. I struggle with wrongdoing. I do. Um, and I would, I would wholly and totally expect if any of you were standing in the position that I'm standing in tonight and you were preaching a similar message, that you would admit the same thing because it's true about all of us. All of us are great sinners. All of us are. I can be, I can be selfish. I can be prideful, lazy, covetous, angry, contentious, wicked, and deceitful. Listen, I can be all of these in one day. I, I, I'll, just be, I'll just shoot straight with you. Sometimes I can be all of these within a moment. I mean, I, 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 can, I can blow right through every stop sign and I can offend in just about every way in a short amount of time. Listen, you don't have to take my word for it. No, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's, let's hear what the Bible has to say about us as people. Let's hold our place in Philemon. Let's go to Romans chapter three. I don't suppose that there's hardly any text in the Bible that paints uh, as, as uh, graphic of a picture about us as, as, as sinners as Romans chapter number three. Would you look in verse number 10? The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now he really gets into the heart of things. Look at verse 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, you know what the vast majority of the world thinks about themselves? If you were to talk to someone, the average person tonight, and you were to ask themselves, you know, what kind of person are you? Most people, speaking in this context, they'd say, I'm, I'm okay. I'm pretty good. I'm all right. And, and you, know why, you know why we say that is because we, we, here's what we like to do. We like to play the comparison game. And so, and so I can always, listen, I can always find someone worse than me. I mean, Brother Adrian's here tonight. I can always find somebody worse than me, right? <laughs> uh, and so can you. Um, and, and, and so that leads us to this idea of, well, I'm okay. I'm really not all that bad. But then we read what the Bible has to say about us. And it is not a pretty picture. I mean, it's ugly. What's found here? The Bible, the Bible does not hold back in any way, shape, or form. In very graphic terms, the Bible tells us just how wicked you and I truly are. The next time, the next time you're tempted to think, I'm really not that bad. Perhaps maybe it's as you're looking at someone who lives down the street from you or maybe you're driving down the road and you see someone stumbling around in an alcoholic stupor or perhaps maybe in a drug-induced stupor and you think to yourself, well, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. Think to yourself this, had it not been for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where I could be. And be reminded, be reminded, listen, we're all the same. We're all wicked sinners. And the only difference between me and someone else living out on the streets or living some wicked life is the difference that Christ has made in my life. That's the only difference. That's it. 
This is what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.20. I think some of these verses will appear on the screen. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That man, listen, that man does not exist. There's no such thing as a man who lives on the earth who is just, who always does good, and he doesn't sin. That man doesn't exist except for Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Here's what the Bible says in um, 1 John 1, verse number 8. For if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You know the person who says, I'm really not that, that, that bad? You know who he's hurting the most? He's hurting himself. He's lying about himself. He has convinced himself. By the way, you've all met someone who, who is, has told enough lies that they believe their own lies. And that's the type of person we're dealing with here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the Bible says, and the truth is not in us. Going on to verse number 10, it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Well, God doesn't lie, the Bible's clear, and his word is not in us. The scriptures, listen, are quite clear that I am a sinner who owes a great debt to God who created me and who is my judge. My sin and my wrongdoing might offend you, but listen, ultimately, ultimately, my sin is against God. In other words, I, I, could, I, could, I could offend you tonight by the way that I interact with you, maybe something that I say or an attitude that I have towards you, and that would be wrong. But listen, listen, what I need to remind myself is, of, of is this, is that every sin that I commit is ultimately against God in heaven. That's what David said. David wrote in his, uh, in his um, Psalm of 51, 4, he says, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And the Bible says in Genesis 39 and verse number nine, Joseph speaking to Potiphar's wife in the midst of this great temptation, he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? That's not what he said. Now that would be Potiphar's wife, but that's not what he said. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Onesimus owed Philemon perhaps a certain dollar amount. You know, if he worked really, really hard, he might have been able to pay for it in some, in, in, in some amount of time. Can I remind you that my debt, your debt, cannot be measured in dollars and cents. My sin debt is impossible for me to pay. The only acceptable payment for my sin debt is death and the shedding of blood. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood is no remission. Onesimus owed Philemon in this text. That's what we're talking about. It's one flawed man owing another flawed man. And that's bad enough. But listen, my debt is much greater. I'm in debt to God. In other words, that's one flawed man, me, in debt to a perfect, eternal, all-powerful, holy God. Listen, being in debt is a miserable way to live. As I got to thinking about the fact that every man, like Onesimus, is in debt, it began to dawn on me, no wonder our world's so unhappy. No wonder our world is so miserable. Every person is born, listen, every person is born into this world in an impossible situation owing a debt to the God of the universe that they can never pay. Is it any wonder that this world is so miserable and so unhappy and so unfulfilled? And here's, here's, what, here's what most people will do. Most people will work their entire lives trying to pay this debt and they'll never realize that this debt cannot be paid with good work. Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation in which perhaps maybe you got into some car, credit card debt and, uh, and every month you're just making the minimum payment and by the time it's all said and done, when you come to the end of that month and you've made the minimum payment, the, the, the debt is actually increasing, it's not coming down. And you look at that statement and you think to yourself, my soul, am I ever gonna get out of this mess? 
when you start thinking about the interest and the compounding of that and perhaps maybe even putting more money on the card just to survive and then paying, uh, then paying the, the minimum payment only and watching that the number is not going down, the number is going up. I'm sort of weird, I'm sort of funny. I get my mortgage statement every month and I always want to look and see how much did it go down. And it's pathetic how little it goes down <laughs> compared to how much I'm paying. I mean, absolutely pathetic, but I still want to see it. A couple hundred dollars a month, I'm seeing the thing go down. I'm thinking to myself, you know, about 500 years from now, we're going to have this house paid for. <laughs> we're going to get there. But you know, in, in many respects, listen, the world, that's what they're doing. Their, their, their works, listen, their works, it's, in essence, it's, it's making minimum payments on a debt that is so high and is so out of control they'll, they'll, because, because minimum payments can never pay the debt. Minimum payments are never going to get it done. Minimum payments will never satisfy Holy, eternal, all-powerful, almighty God. That's what our world's doing. It's no wonder they're so miserable because they're in debt with no hope of ever getting out on their own. And only secondly, we discover, we discover that faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ cancels my debt. In verses 18 and 19, we see that Paul is urging Philemon to cancel Onesimus' debt. And he, and he does so based on his own willingness to pay Onesimus' debt. In other words, he says, listen, listen, just forgive him. And if he owes something, listen, I'm good for it. I will take care of it. Next time I see you, I'll write a check for it. I'll take care of it. You know, there's been a lot of talk in recent days about debt cancellation, hasn't there? One side of a political aisle seems to want to cancel what is known as student loan debt in an effort to seemingly score some political points, while the other side of the aisle argues that this can't be done unless someone else pays for it. They're saying, listen, the taxpayer is ultimately going to be stuck with this bill. In other words, you can't just cancel debt. It's impossible. Sure, if you want to, you can say, okay, it's canceled. You don't have to ever pay it back. But that money's got to be paid back somehow. It may not be paid back by the person who took the loan out to begin with, but somebody's going to be stuck with that bill. And yet Paul here is urging Philemon to cancel the debt. Under what grounds? Under the grounds that I will pay what is owed. You say, what's the point spiritually? The point spiritually is our great Savior says to us, I've canceled your debt. You say, well, how, how, how can you cancel my debt? My debt is owed. It's impossible for you. I've canceled your debt because I have paid what is owed. I have shed my blood. I have died in your place. I'm the only one. I'm the only one who can pay your sin debt. That's what Christ did for us. Christ, the Son of God, was sinless throughout his 33 and a half years of life here on this earth. He was born of a virgin, which allowed him to be a man, but at the same time bypassed the sin nature that flows through all men. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. But the death of Christ, listen, was not to satisfy Christ's sin debt. He had no sin debt. The death of Christ was to satisfy my sin debt. By acknowledging that Christ died to pay my sin debt and by accepting this free gift that is offered to me, here's what God does. God cancels my sin debt by putting it on Christ's account. That's really what's being done here. Paul is just sort of a picture of Christ. He's saying, listen, cancel what Onesimus owes. Oh, you can't cancel it? He owes you still some money? No problem, put it on my account. I will pay it for him. Jesus does the exact same thing for us. He bears all of our sin 
on a cross. So how do I take advantage? How do I take advantage of that payment that has been made? The Bible says in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Well, why did he die? He died for my sins. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. No, God raised him from the dead the third day. Thou shalt be saved. For the heart, man believeth unto righteousness when the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's really simple. It goes on to say in a few verses later, for whosoever, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that word whosoever a beautiful word? Because that means anybody in here. Anybody in here. Anyone you know, anyone you've ever met, anyone who's ever been born is part of that whosoever. If they'll simply come to the Lord and call upon him, they can be saved. Let me say three, thirdly and finally tonight, freedom from debt transforms a man. Freedom from debt transforms a man. You know, one of the reasons folks should avoid financial debt is because of the freedom it affords them in life. You know, making consistent payments on debt, it keeps me from building wealth, keeps me from doing the things that maybe I'd like to be doing. I've discovered that those who don't owe anything to anyone, they can typically buy whatever they want to buy. They can eat wherever they want to eat. And they can travel wherever they want to travel. It seems to be an incredible way to live, free from the burden of debt hanging over you. Now, considering that on the financial side, can I, can, I make this, uh, can I make this transition and say that it is wise to look at how Paul's freedom from debt transformed him? If I've also been forgiven of my debt, then I should live similarly to Paul. Three things that we'll find in this text when we'll be done tonight. Number one, Paul advocated for others to be debt-free. In other words, Paul after, after Paul... Paul had all of his debt canceled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul would do for the rest of his life. He would go everywhere, everywhere, and he would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what he would do. He would tell people, hey, listen, one day I was in debt. My debt was growing by, by leaps and bounds, and I was doing everything in my power to try to pay it, but I couldn't pay it. One day I was introduced to Jesus Christ, and I was, I was told that Jesus paid my sin debt for me, and I placed all of my faith and all of my trust in him, and he forgave me of all of my sin. He canceled all of my debt, and he can do the same thing for you. And that, that's what Paul spent the rest of his days doing. And I think what, I'm, what, what we're hinting at here tonight is this. Listen, if that's the difference that Paul's cancellation of his debt made in his life, if you've been canceled of your debt, if you've been forgiven, are you of, under any less obligation to do the exact same thing? Amen. To everyone you meet, to every person you come across, to share with them what Christ has done for you. If your debt has been canceled, a passion, a passion should burn in you to let others know that the burden of debt they're carrying can be lifted by Jesus Christ. How faithful, how faithful are we to share this good news with others? But notice, secondly, Paul sought to reward the kindness he had been shown by blessing others with generous acts of kindness. Twice in these verses, he offers to pay the financial debt incurred by Onesimus prior to his conversion. I mean, he says it right there in, the, in, in verses 18 and verse number 19. Notice, notice how, he, how he phrases it here. He says in verse number 18, he says, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. Look in verse number 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Most people who come to Christ will do so with a, quite a bit of baggage. Seems to be the way that it works. 
Paul does not hesitate. Listen, Paul does not hesitate to help Onesimus overcome the pain and the baggage of his past, even if it becomes a costly thing for him. I think to myself that perhaps maybe Paul thought back to the early days of his conversion. And he thought to himself, you know, when I tried to come into that church in Jerusalem, they were very skeptical of me, and rightly so. I mean, just a few weeks prior, I had been an enemy. I had been someone that they feared. I was someone who hated them and wanted to kill them, wanted to imprison them, wanted to silence their message. Perhaps maybe he thought of a man by the name of Barnabas, a son of consolation. just simply means he was an encourager. And it seems like Barnabas took Paul alongside. Eventually, Paul would sort of become the leader of that group, but it seems like in the early days, Barnabas led Paul and Barnabas discipled Paul, and, and Barnabas helped Paul to assimilate into the local church and, and, and perhaps maybe made things, made things for, a, made for a smoother transition in that particular element of things. Paul was reminded of that. Paul thought to himself, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing the same thing. I'm certainly going to meet some people who are going to need some love and forgiveness and kindness, and I'm going to show that to them as it was shown to me. Can I just say that kindness and generosity, listen, those things are synonymous with the life of a disciple. Are those qualities present in your life? Those are what the Bible says in Psalm 112, verses four and five. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Notice, a good man showeth favor. Notice the next two words, and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. You know what Paul did the rest of his life? Paul, Paul lent the rest of his life. Paul, Paul says, how can I repay this debt? I know how I can repay it. I can repay this debt by lending to other people kindness and generosity, maybe even, even willing to financially cover some things if that's, if that's what's necessary. That's not all. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 112 and verse number nine. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The Bible says in Luke 6 and verse number 35, but lovely, love ye your enemies and do good. Notice the next two words, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be children of the highest for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. I have to tell you, this is a paradigm shift. This is an attitude adjuster here when I read this because the vast majority of, of us, myself included, we're kind to those who are kind to us. The Bible says, you want to look like your heavenly father? Then do this, show kindness to those who are evil. Show kindness to those who do not show kindness to you. I don't know about you, but that's like taking a knife and putting it right into my chest because that's not how we think and that's not usually how we live, but that's what Jesus said. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 through 2, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake have forgiven you. Thirdly and finally, the cancellation of Paul's debt led to the cancellation of those indebted to him. Though Philemon owed a great debt to Paul for the influence and the investment that he had made in his life, Paul was not looking to collect on this debt. He, he, he doesn't mention this to kind of keep this thing hanging over Philemon's head. Like, I want you to continue to be reminded, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. That's not why he says it. No, he says it to spur Philemon to behave as Paul had behaved. He says, listen, you can forgive when you consider what you've been forgiven of. You can cancel debt when you consider you owed me and I canceled it. Now, that's what he's saying. He's not saying that to remind him, oh, you know, I'm still waiting for you to pay up. 
That's not what Paul is saying, not in any way, shape, or form. He's saying, I have not held your debt against you, therefore do not hold Onesimus' debt against him. Considering the great debt you owed, I owed, the cancellation of that debt through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, how should our lives be different? I'd say that we should be different because we should be the most loving, kind, generous, and forgiving people on planet Earth. That's the impact the gospel makes in our lives. In other words, listen, debt-free people ought not to walk around holding other people's debt over them. No, debt-free people ought to be saying, how can I help these people become debt-free? That's what we ought to give our lives to. And may, may the gospel make this type of difference in our lives as it did in the lives of these men. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.